Hello, and welcome to the Committed Collective Podcast. This podcast is a dialogue between Adam Stone, Byron Hazley, and Steve Kerwin, often joined by informative guests through all walks of life. It's very informal, but very informative, and we're never quite sure where the conversation will lead us as we're talking about racial and socioeconomic inequality in our nation. Due to our national footprint, we're connecting through Zoom, so keep that in mind when you hear the audio. If you'd like to submit a question or topic, please do so by emailing us at info at thecommittedcollective.org on our Facebook page or connecting with us on Instagram at the underscore committed collective. Hey, everybody, this is Adam Stone with the Committed Collective podcast. I have Steve Kerwin and Byron Hazley here as usual. Steve, how are you doing today? Adam, it's... Uh... It's always a pleasure. We're very close to starting a new administration, so it's it's almost new year, new me. So I'm just uh, I'm excited to be here, and I can't wait to see what 2021 brings for all of us. Okay, change is good. Change is good. Byron, how you doing? Uh, I can't complain, Adam. I'm I'm happy to be here. I'm really excited about the guests that we're going to have on. I'm hoping to cut a couple strokes off of my golf game. We've got a, a special guest here. A, a seems like a lifelong friend. I think we've been friends for about 15 years. We went to college together back at Adrian, but um, happy to welcome PGA golf professional Julian Thompson. How you doing? Uh, I'm good, guys. Uh, happy to be here. First time on the show. Um, obviously happy to contribute and, uh, and, uh, provide, uh, um, some sort of, some sort of platform and as a, as it pertains to golf. So I appreciate you guys, uh, inviting me on the show. First time caller, long time listeners, what I heard Byron. So pretty excited (laughs) about this one. We got a super fan in the house. Uh, that's what I started. Um, good. That, that'll be exciting. I know Byron wants to take some strokes off his game and I know we got a lot to work on. I I think the only person I could maybe beat in golf is Adam. We won't get into Adam's game, but, um, I have some questions later in the show for you to uh, help me as well, but we'll get into that later. (laughs) That sounds perfect. (laughs) Let's get a little bit more into you first. Tell us about yourself. Tell us how you got to be a professional golfer with, you know, licensed with the PGA or registered with the PGA? Yeah, I um, um, kind of took an unconventional route. Um, I got started, I got started late. Um, I didn't pick up a golf club until I was in high school. Um, sometime around my junior senior, I'm sorry, sophomore junior year. And uh, just completely accidental. Uh, one of my buddies asked me to play golf and um I didn't have any clubs. My, you know, nobody I knew actually played outside of him. My dad had clubs, but he didn't, um, you know, he didn't really use them. He just kind of had them. Um, and so I thought, you know, I'm, you know, I'm sure it was on a weekend or something like that. I, I can't really remember the specifics of the day or anything like that, but I remember going to the golf course with him and thinking that, um, you know, I, I couldn't be too hard. I thought it was just another, another sport, another activity that I would probably, um, <laughs> probably thrive in, uh, and the exact opposite, uh, happened. So it's kind of a, a kick in the face, but, um, anytime anybody asks me how I got into golf or how I fell in love with the game, it, I, I always go back to this, that one incident, um, and that one moment, uh, of, uh, you know, being just completely God awful at the game. Um, only played nine holes. I'm sure I shot 250. 
And uh, but something about that that failure over and over again um, throughout that particular round uh, is what drew me to the game. And uh, you know, there's just kind of this this search for um, perfection, which you can't obtain in golf at all. Um, and, uh, it's, it's a never ending search. So from that moment, um, <clears throat> I kind of knew I wanted to do something within the game of golf, uh, as far as my career is concerned, I just didn't know what it was, didn't know how to get there. Um, in, you know, as you, as you get older, you kind of figure things out and obviously you guys know, cause I went to school with you. I made the transition to, to golf there kind of in the, in, in, uh, in the middle of the college tenure, I don't, I tried out for the team and, and I'm sure they were looking for bodies. Cause I, I was probably the last person who, who, who deserved to be on that team or, or uh, was qualified to be on the team. But, uh, regardless, I, you know, made, made the team and, uh, from there, uh, just kind of kept plugging away, no lessons, um, just kind of figured the game out by, uh, you know, um, trial and error and, um, got into the, the, the workplace side of things in 2012. And, um, oddly enough, that's, uh, kind of when I turned, uh, when I turned professional. So it's been a, it's been a backwards route. Um, you know, I wasn't a child prodigy like Tiger Woods or some of these other, uh, guys and girls, um, at a young age, but, uh, you know, I, I've, um, I probably, I wouldn't change it. Uh, you know, it's a, it's a career in a, in a game that provides a lot and it's something that, you know, you don't get from other careers and other, other sports. Quick, as you were telling that, you said you use your dad's clubs and I can also remember playing at a young age. Were those like the old clubs with like the wood woods that are like wood and the irons that are almost just like sawed off and you can barely swing and it feels like they're going to break as you're hitting the golf ball. No, you know what? They weren't wood. They probably felt like wood to me. Um, <laughs> sophomore, I, I don't know. I probably weighed 145 pounds soaking wet. So, uh, and I'm probably still close to that. So I, my dad had tailor-made, um, tailor-made oh, okay. clubs, but, but they were, they were, uh, uh, this technology that they called bubble shafts. Uh, I don't even know what that was back then. I just knew that, um, they weren't right for my dad and they, they certainly weren't right for me. So it, it didn't make the game any easier. Uh, but I can't, I can't, uh, blame the clubs on why I was so terrible that day and terrible. Um, not even just that day, but you know, obviously in the, the days and the weeks and the months uh, after that. So what part of your game you said, cause golf is, it's a very, it'll humble you very quickly. Uh, golf is sport for the rest of your life. Um, what was a part of your game that, that clicked the fastest. So there had to have been something at some point, whether it's, it's putting or you could hit the ball straight or, you know, was it like, you're like Adam and you just keep hitting it in the water over and over again. And you're just <laughs> impressed with yourself. Like what was the, what was the thing that, that kind of kept you going? Um, kept you coming yeah. back. Yeah. 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 So uh, I'm not kidding when I say this, it's, it was the failure. Um, That's amazing. So, it's, uh, you know, I, we've all played team sports, right? And so when you're playing a team sport, you have, there's, whether you like it or not, you, you have to rely on your teammate, baseball, football, basketball, soccer, you know, whatever you name it, you have to rely on your teammate to, to provide, um, you know, whatever is needed to accomplish the goal. For me, 
you know, golf, it's, you know, there's no coach um, out there. There's no teammates. Um, it's just you. And, you know, whether you, whether the result of your shot is, is a, is a good result or a bad result, it's something you have to live with. And that was so foreign to me at that time because I had never played anything on an individual level um, at all leading up to that point in my life. So to get out there and to, um, you know, I, I'm, I remember teeing it up in, um, obviously, you know, like a lot of people, you, you probably whiff or shank it into the woods or top it. I remember topping my ball and there was a group behind us. It's a public course. This, you know, the first tee stacked. Um, probably felt like a gallery to me <laughs> at the U S open, but I remember topping my ball and, um, not really feeling embarrassed, um, because I'd never done that before. So I wasn't sure what, you know, what that, I remember getting to the next shot and then topping it again. And then the third shot, I didn't top it. I hit it really, really well. Um, it didn't go straight. It went to the, to the right end of the trees, but I remember that feeling of hitting it flush. And then I'm sure, you know, like the fourth and fifth shots I, I top. So once you pull out, you, you kind of like you're counting your strokes and you, you know, you hit double digits, you're like, what the hell was that? Like, I don't, like, it can't be that hard. So you try to figure it out along the way, as far as the skill part of it, like when I was that young, I didn't, there was nothing, there was nothing that I was good at right away. I, I will be 100% honest with you. Um, That's awesome. I think I was just completely enamored with trying to figure out this, this Rubik's cube uh, of a game without having any prior knowledge or lessons or, or anything. And the friend that I played with, he wasn't any good either. So it's like, we're both out there just, you know, a couple of hacks trying to put the pieces of this puzzle together. And a lot of people rightfully so get really, really frustrated, really, really fast. Um, there was no frustration with me. It was, it was actually uh, intriguing to try to figure out what I was doing and why I was, why I was doing it. Um, and you know, to this day, I'm still, still trying to figure that out. <laughs> I mean, so in terms of coming up, you, you mentioned just going through different courses, public courses and building your way up as you progressed along the path from, you know, hobby to in college, joining the team to wanting to turn professional. How did that shift look when you were looking among your colleagues and for mentors for help and ways to learn the next steps to be a professional? Um, yeah, I didn't, there were no, I did I personally didn't have any, um, before I got into this field, uh, in 2012, I didn't know anybody. I didn't know any, any other fellow PGA professionals. Um, obviously I had friends who golf, but you know, nobody, nobody who worked in the industry or did anything like that. So, um, a lot of it was just trying to figure out what, you know, how do you, how do you do, how do you do what you see on the, on the golf channel? You know, so I turned on the golf channel when, you know, at a young age and, and watch, you know, Tiger and Phil and Ernie Els and Retief Goosen and, you know, Podrick Harrington. And then the list of goes on and on. And, um, you know, all, you know, is the playing side of golf, uh, when you're watching it on TV. So for me, you know, I'm thinking, well, I want to do something, golf related. Um, these guys make it seem pretty easy on TV. I'm sure I could, I could practice and 
do the exact same thing. Well, that I obviously that's, um, you know, it's, it's a very small TV on the PGA tour, European tour and things of that nature. So, um, you know, outside of that, you just, you, you, you kind of try to do your own research. Um, I thought, well, if I can't play at that level professionally, um, you know, I might as well try to, um, you know, work at a golf course. Cause my, my mindset was, well, if, if I want to compete professionally, I have to get better. And the only way you get better is by practicing. Um, it just so happens that, you know, if you're not a member at a club or if you're not in the golf industry, golf is pretty expensive. Right. Mm -hmm. So continuously going up to the driving range or to the golf course and spending 50 to 150 bucks, uh, uh, around is not, um, financially feasible for somebody who's 19, 20, 21, you know, whatever, whatever the age may be. So I thought, uh, you know, working at a golf course would provide some benefit. And it, at that time, once I, once I, again, I said in 2012, I kind of got into the, this field once I, uh, once that happened, it was then that I was able to kind of really, really understand the secondary side of this game, which is the business side. Um, and everything that takes place, you know, at, at public courses, private courses, resorts, you know, driving ranges and so on and so forth. So, um, it, you know, it's been, a what what's going on basically nine years now, um, a fun nine years, but a lot of, a lot of it prior to that, Adam was just, um, again, kind of trial and error. So you talk about, you know, you turning pro in 2012. So take us down that path. How did you do that? And now you're saying you're, you are a PGA professional, you're certified. So take us through that as well. So how'd you go from turning pro to going down that path? And I know it took you a while to attain your certification. Just, I know it's a lot going on. So just give us some background there. Yeah. So in 2012, um, I, uh, became an assistant golf professional at a, at a private club here in Michigan. And, um, so that, you know, at that time, uh, in doing that, um, uh, again, I, I, I mentioned that I realized there's a, there's a whole other side to the golf industry as opposed to what you see on TV and, um, the, the educational component of, um, being a golf professional was, was introduced to me. So the PGA of America, um, offers, offers education, uh, you know, for aspiring golf professionals and it, it can be quite grueling or, or taxing, however you want to describe it. Uh, but they give you, they give you quite a bit of time, uh, to complete it. And it's almost like a graduate program. Uh, so when I was introduced to this, <clears throat> I thought, uh, you know, this is something that I love and I want to do, and I'm not, I'm not going to take the, at, at the time, I think it was eight years. I think it might be a little less now um, because they kind of, they, they, they take a look at their, the coursework and the criteria and they all, they're always kind of uh, changing it up. So I'm not uh, sure as to what the tenure is now, but when I was going through the program they give you eight years to do it um, to get through all three levels. Um, for me, it, it took uh, two and a half from when I, first started. So, it, you know, they, they, they provide this information for you so that you can become a class, a golf professional, a class, a PGA professional. 
And from there, um, obviously, you know, like anything, once you obtain that, that certification, um, the doors open a little wider uh, in regards to career opportunities. So, um, you know, from that, from that time in 2012, when I passed my uh, uh, PAT, which is the player's ability test, which it's a 36 hole tournament in one day, and they give you a target score to, to shoot. And, uh, um, you know, it's not like teeing it up at, at the masters or anything, but uh, they want to make sure obviously that anybody who jumps in this business in this industry can at least, you know, keep, keep the ball moving forward and can, and can find the cup. So um, I was fortunate enough to, to pass that on my first attempt, which not a lot of people do. What'd you um, shoot? Uh, I, I don't know. It was set. Well, yeah, you know, it was 70, I shot 75, 76. Hmm. Um, it was a par 72. Um, I think the target score at that course I played, you had to shoot two rounds of, I believe 70, 78 or 79 or something like that. So again, it's not hard, right? There's middle, middle, middle pins and they, they move the tees forward and, but uh-huh you know, under that pressure, they want to make sure people can can play tournament golf. So, um, you know, I was fortunate enough to pass it, uh, my first attempt. And, um, you know, from there I've worked at various clubs, both public and private, um, uh, across the country. Um, and while, you know, while I'm doing that, I'm going through my, you know, my coursework and, and whatnot and, and, um, and, and learning how to, learning how to be a professional and not just be a golfer. Cause those, those are two, those are two separate things. And, uh, um, again, you know, it, it can take some time. Some people jump in here and in, in the business and, and kind of flake out because of the amount of time it takes. And, um, you know, if I'm being honest, there's just not a lot of money to be made as a, you know, as a entry level assistant golf professional at any, at any course. Um, Again, I, I go back to my genuine love for the game and, and kind of the, the the failure that that I get when I play golf. Um, that that's kind of what keeps me coming back. Um, at least from the you know on, on the course standpoint, uh, off the course, um, you know it again. Golf provides a lot for a lot of people. There are some people who join uh, or join. Excuse me. There are some people who play golf. Um, you know for no other reason other than, you know, it's a nice day outside um, mm-hmm. and they want to go outside and, and get some sun on their skin. And there's other people who play golf because, you know, they're in men's leagues or women's leagues or, or whatnot. So there's a million different reasons why people play this game. And I think that's what, uh, you know, why PGA professionals do what uh, do what we do. And I just wanted to jump in here and let our listeners know shooting a 75 is hard is in fact hard. I I know that J, JT said that it was easy. People go their entire lives without shooting a 75. Yeah, this, this sounds like he's being incredibly modest over here. <laughs> he was being incredibly <laughs> modest. He's like, I don't know. Yeah. Like, yeah, 75, on. 76. I was off that day. It was windy and raining, and, you know, I was missing a lot of putts, and I think <laughs> yeah, I... Yeah, I do that yeah. holes, so... <laughs> Um, <laughs> you guys are uh you guys are competitive so you you understand what i mean it's uh for yeah i get that a lot you know i'll get done with the tournament and say i shot i only shot 71 or 70 and people are kind of looking at me sideways but um there's again that never-ending uh chase for perfection that you try to you try to get in this game and 
as a golfer, I think you realize it's impossible. Yeah. Well, Julia, JT, you know, JT, we go a low. I'll say JT because we have known each other for a long time for all the listeners out there like Byron and Steve. We all went to undergrad together at Adrian College. <clears throat> we know that's a lot of work you put in. Congratulations on making it to that level. Class A PGA professional. But this is the TCC podcast. So we're here to talk about diversity, equality, that fight against inequality. From the outside perspective, golf, along with a lot of sports in the past, have had, you know, some black eyes on the diversity and equity front. Now, you are a black professional. You're the head pro at golf clubs that are prominent and are all over the country, especially in the Midwest. How has that looked like for you in terms of being a golf professional in those situations where, you know, it might have been more of a a white only society in the past. Yeah, it's, it's, I'm not going to lie. It's different. You know, I don't, I don't go to uh, work um, and see a lot of people who look like me. Um, and, and, and saying that's a massive understatement, um, whether it's members or, or, or other golf professionals, obviously, you know, there's just, there's not a lot of, there's not a lot of black golf professionals in general. Um, I think uh, of the 29,000 PGA professionals, I think only 165 are African-American, um, which is, you know, a, a, an incredibly low number given that there's 29,000 of us. So um, yeah, it's uh, it's different. Um, but I had known that all along um, dating back to uh, when I said sophomore, junior year of high school. So 2003, 2004, dating back to then when I started, uh, playing, you know, Tiger Woods was winning major championships at that, at that moment. He's playing on the PJ tour, um, best player in the world. So my, my, what, what got me interested in the game was, was obviously him. And so, um, I had kind of known all along throughout this journey that, that, that was going to be the case that I was always going to be um, one of a very, very, uh, small number, of not only minorities, but, but, uh, black golf professionals. So, um, you know, you, like anything you, you try to, you try to, um, you try to control what you can control, uh, and you try to do your best to stand out for all the right reasons. Nobody's obviously perfect, perfect, but, um, you know, I've, I've tried to make it, uh, um, I've tried to make it a point to, to really, really, um, stand out on the golf course. And, uh, you know, for me falling in love with the game, uh, starting on the golf course and getting in this business, um, stems from falling in love with the game. And so anytime I, uh, can, you know, play in a golf tournament at, uh, at a section level, or a national level or, or whatever it may be. Um, you know, I take that incredibly serious. And so I've, I've had some success doing that. Um, and I know a lot of, uh, people, black, white, Asian, Latino, you know, whatever we all respect uh, really, really good play. And, um, I know that's a universal thing. So, you know, I've, I've always tried to stand out there. I've always tried to stand out, um, you know, if it's not on the course, definitely off the course, just in the way I, I, um, uh, carry myself. Um, and obviously being, you know, 
you know, whether it's an entry level assistant or a first assistant or a head golf professional, there's, um, or, you know, it, whether it's at a public course or private course resort, you know, whatever it is, it, you, you do have eyes on you. So, um, you know, again, I only try to control what I can control, but you, I, I am aware that I am in a, um, you know, kind of a, I'm a small fish in a, in a, in this case, kind of an ocean, uh, type of thing. And, um, you try to, you try to do whatever you can to, to make it known to those around you that, you know, Hey, this is, this not just a job, you know, this is a career and this, this is something that, um, that means a lot. And you, you, um, you just try to do what you can do to, to make that known. I just ran the numbers you would be in the half percent yeah. of black um, <clears throat> golf of America teaching professionals. That's uh, an that insane men and women? low number. Is that men and women? Uh, I believe so. I believe so. Yeah. It's a, it's a very small, a very small number. Um, and uh, yeah, no, you know, whether it's half percent, 2%, uh, you know, 5%, obviously that number is, that number is very small. Um, and you know, look, there's only four black, uh, PGA tour players. Um, you know, so when people turn on the golf channel and they, and they're watching, they're watching, you know, whatever it is, us open PGA championship masters, you know, you name it, obviously everybody knows Tiger Woods. Uh, you see Harold Barner, Harold Barner, the third, uh, great guy, uh, Cameron champ who hits the ball a mile. And then, uh, Joseph Bram, Joseph Bramlett, who I, who I believe just, uh, got on tour last year. You know, yeah, they're they're um, in that small percentage as well, um, and so it's not a diverse industry. It's not a diverse game. I know that PGA of America is doing their best to kind of uh, um, hit on those things, um, but uh, it's kind of you know, it's it's a slow, a very very slow moving process. You mentioned so, the PGA doing more things to 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 try to build the numbers and, you know, obviously seeing Tiger Woods on television, that's great. Seeing Harold Arnold the third on television, that's great, you know, but that doesn't mean much when you get into the clubs and there's a, a ceiling there or, you know, not enough common faces around to make you comfortable to continue to pursue your dreams. So what do you think has been done to improve things? What do you think needs to be done to improve things for men, women, uh, Hispanic, black, native American, Asian, anybody to feel like this is a game that can cater for, you know, go for them if they want to play it. Well, um, so the, the, the PJ America, the PGA of America is one of, one of the leading, you know, governing bodies. Um, and, uh, it's been around since 1916 and, you know, not everything's been perfect since then. Um, but you know, recently, and when I say recently, I mean, within like the last, uh, five to 10 years, uh, maybe not even that long ago, but you know, that, that time of, uh, that, that timeline, they've, they've developed initiatives to really diversify the workplace and, uh, and diversify leadership positions within the PGA of America. Um, the PGA lead is, is, is an initiative that I, that I was actually, um, a part of over the last two years, um, which is, um, an initiative to, uh, really advance, uh, minorities and women in leadership positions within the PGA of America. Um, and that's both at a section and a national level. Um, 
And uh, there's an initiative known as PJ Works, which is designed to diversify the workplace through uh, fellowships, scholarships, and um, career exploitation. Um, They also do the collegiate championship as well. So, um, you know, these initiatives are are things that I think have taken place since 2014. Um, So going on, you know, seven years now. Um, But this is, you know... this is this is a way for the PGA of America to to um, to, to to kind of turn the tide, um, and I think that they realize that you know the world looks a lot different than the game of golf, right? right. When you look at percentages of millennials and, and Gen Z, forty three percent of millennials are multicultural, and forty eight percent of Gen Z um, is multicultural. So you know, when you look at the game of golf, you, you're not seeing those same percentages, something, something's off there. Mm-hmm. You know, when you look at, when you look at memberships at private clubs, something's off there. Um, just in the totality of rounds played, something's off there. It doesn't, it doesn't match, uh, doesn't match up with what the world looks like. So that's where the PGA of America is doing a really, really good job of trying to, um, <clears throat> trying to introduce different initiatives and, and ways to, really diversify the game. Um, oddly enough, I was on uh, the Illinois PGA board of directors prior to my involvement with the PGA lead. Um, I don't know if I was the first uh, uh, African-American PGA professional on the Illinois PGA board of directors. Um, hopefully I won't be the last, but you know, what's great about that is you, you get voted on to the board of directors by your peers um, within that section. So, um, you know, I, I, the, the, the world that we live in now, I think a lot of people, um, realize that change is not a bad thing. Um, I think, uh, the, the, the tough part is just getting people to, um, acknowledge that it needs to happen and, you know, change can be uncomfortable, um, changing up the workplace and, and having, you know, head golf professionals that look like me could probably be uncomfortable to a lot of people. Um, you know, if the president of the PGA of America, you know, it's Jim Richardson now, but two years from now, if, if it's a, if it's a black, if it's a black, um, golf professional, you know, I'm sure that would make some people uncomfortable. And it's, um, it's a the reality of the world we live in. And so, um, again, the PGA of America is doing a good job to, to address those discomforts that some people may have, and they're really trying to align the workplace and leadership positions with um, with with what the world looks like now and what it will look like, you know, ten to twenty to thirty years from now. I have an interesting stat here, and you tell me if I'm in bounds. I I have a theory of how to fix it or at least help. And I think it stems from everything that we've ever covered with every guest we've ever come on. And I believe it starts with the youth. So this is a a golf industry article. Uh, The Pellucid Corporation did a study and from 2002 to 2016, regular golfers fell from 30 million to 20 million. So there's a various amount of factors in there. We could get into all of them. You got the depression that with sure. the economic recession we had in 2010 rising prices but so my golf yeah. story is a little bit different i learned in the 90s i was a young kid and i took youth lessons and they were extremely affordable 
And unfortunately, when golfers stop coming, what's the first thing that any public course, private course, they're going to scrap the youth lessons. Um, It's no secret that I'm sure, you know, you don't want a bunch of kids necessarily on your golf course. You're just going to get a little, they're not going to fix their divots. uh, Bunkers aren't getting, and it, it can create this. But I think at the end of the day, this all will start with youth and youth lessons in particular, giving it maybe low income or and then looking in diverse. Like you said, I play tennis, you play golf. It's no secret that it is a rich white man's sport on both. That is who the common is, what you see out there. So I think it starts with youth and lessons being more affordable. Then you're going to grow it and you're going to start hitting the diverse numbers that you'd see. Am I out of bounds with that comment? Am I close? Am I? Yeah, no, I don't, I don't think you're. Um, so, you know, when you look at growing the game of golf, just the, the golf world in general, you have obviously the masters, the, the, the drive chip and putt competition. And you see the kids on TV taking part in that. And, you know, those kids are all, I mean, there's the, the, the diversity among those kids is incredible. Um, you know, boys, girls, black, white, uh, Latinos, you know, Asians, um, you name it, they're, uh, they're taking part. And so, um, you're not, you're not far off. Uh, it, it does need to start somewhere. And a lot of times it, it does begin with the, with the youth and, uh, or the younger generation. And again, I think that's where, why the PJ of America, um, is really kind of trying to turn the tide because again, you, I mean, Gen Z and millennials, you know, no, no less than 43% of us are multicultural, um, workplace again, 10 to 20 years from now, what is that going to look like? Well, it, you know, that's, again, that's what the PG of America is. They're, they're really trying to, to, to hone in on that. Um, and there is a trickle down effect. Uh, I can't tell you how many times during my tenure as a, as a, as a, as a head golf professional, or even as an assistant, uh, golf professional, um, or while I'm playing in tournaments, um, anytime, uh, a black, black man or a black woman sees me, um, either kind of give me, they either kind of give me a, a little nod of acknowledgement or, you know, they've gone as far as to, to say, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's great to see you in this position. Um, so it's, uh, it, again, it needs to start somewhere. Uh, you're, you're not far off, Steve. Um, there are a million different ideas and things that a lot of people who, you know, they've come up with. Um, but at the end of the day, the genuine want or acceptance for, for change, um, that, that needs to be a a very, very real thing. Otherwise nothing, nothing gets done. And there's been a golf boom, you know, for a lot of people that don't know, a lot of States shut down. Michigan was one of them or, or maybe more so Ohio, but golf was allowed to, to be played during COVID. So a lot of families came to golf this year as a type of activity. So if there was ever a time to grab individuals that may love this game to get involved and to kind of bring it together, there is no better time than right now. Yeah. Yeah. You're, uh, you're spot on rounds across the country. I mean, it, it, it was, uh, (laughs) it was a chaotic year for everybody. Uh, but on the golf course, right. You know, rounds across the country, uh, skyrocketed, um, it was, uh, you know, for a long time, it was the only thing you could do. Um, Correct. And it was one of the first things that you could do because you could, you know, you could social, you could socially distance and it was outside and, 
you know, there, there weren't a lot of touch points cause you're just touching your own clubs. Um, but, uh, yeah, no, I'm sure a lot of people, uh, who were, um, not previously, um, you know, introduced to the game of golf probably by accident. And again, that's kind of how it happened to me by accident. We're introduced this summer. That's great. I mean, it's great that more people are getting outdoors and trying to take advantage of or adapting to the way society's changed with some outdoor activities. Uh, JT, you mentioned earlier diversity in the leadership of the PGA of America. And, you know, just recently in October, Susie Whaley stepped down. She was the first female president of the PGA of America, but she was replaced by Jim Richardson, who as one of his first acts, uh, actually cut ties with president, former, soon to be former president Donald Trump for the PGA championship event, which is great news for 2022. But in terms of helping raise diversity and improve diversity among the sport, not only at the top levels, but throughout, what things do you suggest? You know, the Major League Baseball, National Basketball Associations, people see them as diverse organizations now, but in the past they were predominantly white or white only for a long time. What things do you think need to be done to get the diversity up to the levels of those leagues? You know, Adam, I don't, um, I don't have, a, I don't have a direct answer. I, you know, I have some thoughts, uh, like, like a lot of people, I, you know, I don't know if I have the the, the right answer or anything like that. Um, you, you know, there's, I always look at, and I'm a little biased here because I, I, I work in the, you know, the, the private side of things. So I've, you know, for the majority of my career, I've, I've worked at private clubs and, um, you know, I have a strong understanding on, on how those operate. And, um, you know, we, with a private club comes a membership and there's a membership process and, um, you know, whether you're, whether somebody's let in or not is, is, is up to the, up to the membership, you know, the membership committee, the board, you know, that those types of things. Um, I think I, I look at that and say, to answer your question, I, I, I believe that changing, changing the, um, the stigma really comes from, you know, really diversifying the, that workplace. And it doesn't necessarily have to be at a private club, but I, again, I, that's where the majority of my time has been spent. So I, I'm only speaking to those experiences. You know, I, I know how difficult it can be, um, you know, for anybody to get, you know, some of these, these, these top, these top jobs at a private clubs, so whether it's a, an assistant or a head golf professional, director of golf, a, um, um, you know, tournament director, a director of instruction, uh, you know, you name it. Um, when you, when you look at some of the really, really good clubs, um, and there's a million of them, but you look at, you know, you top 100 or, or whatnot. And, um, you know, places like Shinnecock and, and Oakmont and Augusta and Wingfoot and Marion and Crystal Downs and Oakland Hills. And I, I could go on and on, but um, you look at some of these places, you're not going to see um, a lot of diversity there, um, especially when it comes to uh, black golf professionals. Um, and that has been, that's been a constant theme ever since this game was introduced, you know, five whatever centuries ago. So until, until that changes, in my opinion, until 
see somebody who looks like me um, as a head professional at one of those clubs, I don't know how quickly the, the tide would actually turn. And, and that's why I said, you know, earlier, it's, it's a very slow moving tide. And this is not to discount or discredit any, any initiatives or anything that any, anybody's done in the past. I just, I, I know, I, 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 my opinion is that I, I, I understand how a lot of golfers think in a sense that, you know, we all want to experience um, the best, right? And so when you, when you talk about having access to the best, the best courses, the best clubs, the best apparel, the best, the best instruct uh, instruction. Um, a lot of that is in a very sheltered, tough to find um, area. Um, not to say that you can't have the time of your life at, at your local driving range. But I mean, if I said, Adam, what would you rather do play around to golf at Augusta national or, go up to the driving range uh, and hit golf balls. I mean, I think your experience at Augusta national would, I think would trump your experience at, at the local driving range. And so people want access to those things and it's tough to have access to those things because a lot of them are private. Um, now if the head golf professional at Augusta national um, is, is black and you show up to play golf at, at Augusta national, I mean, I, you know, for, for maybe two seconds in the back of your mind, you're, you're probably going to think to yourself, I, I, you know, what, I wasn't expecting that, you know? Um, and I think that's what I've got. I, that's what I've experienced a lot as well. You know, people come up to me and I, I mentioned it before in passing, it, um, you know, to, people are happy to see me in those positions, especially people of color. So that right there, um, can we expand? Can we expand on that real quick? Not to cut you yeah. off. So that's a very positive, but you must have took over for somebody. The yeah. statistics tell me that you took over for a white guy. Uh, correct. Okay. I I just took a shot in the dark there. Okay. So you took over. Yeah. Has it all been positive? Because um, I'm assuming, and maybe I miss this. Do you teach? Do you give lessons? Yeah. Yep. Okay. So you must have came with some type of book of business, or these are the individuals that take lessons. Did you lose people initially um, being in your position? Cause you kind of <laughs> talk to positives. Maybe you don't realize it cause you don't see it as much. Did you, did you notice a change? I guess is what, how I should say it. No. So I would, I would say this, that I, the, the, um, when I was, when I was named head golf professional, I had already been at that club for three years previous. So okay. um, I, I, I had an incredible, you know, relationship with uh, most okay. of the members. Now um, I, yeah, I, I see where you're going. I don't know. I'm sure that happens, right? I, I can't, I'm not going to say that it doesn't. Um, I, you know, if, again, if somebody, if I, if I'm named a head golf professional at a, at a club, wherever, geographically um let's just go let's go south somewhere right um and it's a club that you know um just doesn't have a lot of uh black golf professionals uh or black members or, or whatever um I, i'm sure there might be some people there and they might not verbalize it right because we're in a different i would hope they you know we're in a different time frame but they might not verbalize it but they, they might think to themselves well, you know I'm not sure if this is, if this is the right move. Right. Was um, there ever a time in your career where they did verbalize it? 
No, mm-hmm. no, I've, I, and again, I, again, that's good. going back to what I said in the beginning of this is that I, I have, I realize that I'm, I'm a, one of a very, very uh, small, uh, you know, a select few in, in this industry. And so I've, I've attempted to do everything that I can to kind of stand out for all the right reasons. Um, you know, try to go above and beyond um, in every avenue. So I have not, I've been lucky enough, Adam, to not really experience any of that from, uh, from members at clubs that I've been at. Um, I've experienced some stuff um, kind of, I, I would say, I would say indirectly uh, playing in, in golf tournaments and whatnot, but I, I've, I guess, you know, I would say that I, I'd be, I've been lucky. I haven't really experienced anything that would turn me off to the game of golf or would turn me off uh, from wanting to do this, um, as, as a, you know, as a career. Um, but to answer your earlier question, yeah, I, I just think that there's a trickle down effect. So when you, and this is part of the reason why the PGA of America is doing what they're doing is when you diversify the workplace, it makes it easy for somebody who's, uh, younger or, or even older to, um, to connect. Um, and so my example with Tiger Woods is, not, you know, he didn't diversify the workplace for me, but I saw somebody who, you know, he's multicultural, um, black people identify him as being black, but I, you know, I saw somebody on TV doing things that, um, arguably nobody's ever done before. And so that, that was my experience. That was my introduction into the game of golf. Um, if Tiger Woods is not on the TV in 2003 and 2004, I, I'm sure I still go play golf with my friend, but I don't know if I deal with the headache uh, long-term of trying to figure out how to play this game at a high level. Um, so, you know, if you see a, a black head golf professional or an assistant at a, at a, at a club, it doesn't matter if it's private or public or, or whatnot. Um, and you go, you go play there, you, that, that interaction that you have with that, that person could be the, they could be all you need as a black person. Um, that could be all you need to join that club or to buy a membership, um, or to buy a, you know, a driving range pass. And that right there, um, increases the chances of diversifying the game overall. So when you speak about diversity, I know you've brought this up a couple of times, how the PGA has, um, multiple efforts to diversify the game. Now they're doing that because we both know, we all know it has not always been that way. Right. So over time, they've, they've continued to push even up to today where they've um, taken a tournament away from the host, you know, from, from the president Trump. So can you give us any tidbits about how things have changed historically, any key milestones for the PGA over time with them and diversifying their game and yeah. some of the things that they've done? Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's, I mentioned earlier that, you know, PGA of America has been around since 1916. Um, and for the longest time, uh, unfortunately they had a Caucasian only clause in their bylaws. So, uh, um, you know, it, in 61, that changed 1961, um, that changed, uh, and I believe it was Charlie Sifford, um, who was the first, um, first black, uh, golfer on the PGA tour. 
but let me let me jump backwards because a lot of people get this mixed up. So the PGA of America and the PGA Tour are different. Um, they used to be uh, uh, in bed together, but um, the PGA Tour uh, split off. They were founded in 1929, but they split off from the PGA of America in 1968. So when you turn on the Golf Channel and you see the PGA Tour, that's that's run by obviously the PGA Tour, um, and then the PGA of America. That's a, that's a separate entity. Um, but okay. you know, back then while they were still the same thing, you know, they had this, they had this, um, this clause in their, in their, in their bylaws, which prevented black people from, uh, from becoming members and, and holding tour cards and, and everything, uh, of that nature. So, um, ever since then, Charlie Sifford, um, like I said, I think he was the first, uh, black golfer, there's, there's been this, and again, a very, very slow, very slow, um, trickle down, uh, effect. So, you, you know, you go from Charlie Sifford, a lot of people, again, I go back to Tiger Woods because in 1997, that was kind of his, his first, you know, hello world, right. That was his first, um, his first major championship win at the masters. And that was the, the world's first real look at him. He had done a lot of damage in college and at the amateur rankings before then, but 97 was, was kind of that benchmark, but people don't realize that there was, you know, there were black golfers before Tiger Woods. There weren't a lot. Um, and they definitely didn't play like Tiger Woods, but, um, notable ones like Charlie Sifford being the first one, um, uh, Calvin Pete, um, who was a hell of a player, actually, he was in the top 10 in the world in 1986. And I believe played in, on two Ryder cup teams. Um, a lot of people don't know that it's guy was, I mean, he hit the ball, you want to talk about driving accuracy, which is something that I, I think I'm just absolutely putrid at. He led the PGA tour in driving accuracy for 10 straight years, which is, which is, I don't care who you are. If you're black or white or you're male or you're female, it doesn't matter That's for you to do that for 10 straight years is incredible. Right. Um, he just so happened to be black. Um, and then you look at Jim Thorpe and, um, you know, there's, again, I talk about this very slow trickle down effect. Um, again, there weren't a lot, but every time, and I can't speak for these guys, but I'm, I'm assuming, and I'm, I'm sure that, you know, their predecessor that they, they're, you know, looking up and seeing these guys on TV or knowing about them in the golfing world, it, uh, it gives them motivation to say, okay, well, you know, I can do this too. So, um, the clause gets removed in, in 1961 and, um, um, 14 years later, Lee Elder, uh, is the first black golfer to play in the, in the masters. Um, and he, you know, now 46 years later is going to be an honorary starter, um, uh, this April actually. So in a few months at the masters with Jack Nicholas and, and Gary player, which is, which is incredible. Um, uh, you know, so there, you know, black people had, have kind of had these, little small victories, I guess, here and there. Um, it just seems to be like one, one every decade, but obviously that, that, that was, you know, 40, 50 years ago and, and things have changed since then. Um, 31 years ago in 1990, um, the PGA championship, I know you guys have said it a couple of times with, with obviously the, um, uh, uh, PGA of America removing its championship, the PGA championship from Trump national and Bedmin, um, Bedminster, New, New Jersey, um, which came to light a couple of days ago, but, but 31 years ago, um, you know, they, they had a, 
they 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 had kind of a similar circumstance, obviously a little different, but um it was being hosted at Shoal Creek in 1990, which is in Alabama. Uh it's in Birmingham and um it's a hell of a course. Um you know, I think they kind of find themselves in the top 100 a lot. So, you know, it's, this place is, this place is really good. And, um, they didn't have any black members up until that point. The only reason they, at that point, um, didn't have any black members is because it's a private club and they, obviously you can control who a championship, you know, all, all of that's going to make news, right? So the PGA, the PGA of America threatens to kind of, uh, move the tournament from, from Shoal Creek and, um, long story short, uh, they, they allow a, a black, um, a black businessman to join, um, so that they can keep the tournament. I mean, you can kind of see the writing on the wall there, right? Some financial means to probably keep the tournament. Did they really want to do that? I'm, I'm sure they didn't, uh, because, um, they didn't have another, um, black member for a, a, quite a long time. I believe another four years went by before the, another black member was admitted to the club. So do you think the PGA um, has more incentive now to be more focused on equality? Cause obviously, like you said, money talks and things yeah. that have happened in the past have been predicated by popularity, driving interest, keeping money coming in. Do you what? do you think right now there's that, need for money to continue to drive the equality push? Um, I, that's a, that's a good question. I think, I think that, um, in any, in, in any Avenue, any stretch of, of life, any business, obviously money talks. Right. And so, um, by no means do I think, um, that the initiatives that the PGA of America has come up with, or that anybody's come up with is disingenuous. I, 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 I believe because I've been a part of it, that everything that they're doing and um, through the, through the leadership, everything that they're doing is genuine. Um, do I think that there's more incentive now than there was, than there was in the past? Um, I'm sure there is, I, but I think, I, I think that is natural. I think because a lot of people, um, are opening up their eyes. And I think that, um, I, I, am sure you guys have heard the phrase cancel culture. Um, I, Mm -hmm. I I don't actually think that's a, a thing. I think that, I think people understand right from wrong now. Um, and I think people are more accepting of change, right? As we look back to what happened to George Floyd, again, he's, he's not the first, unfortunately not the first black, um, person to be killed, um, by law enforcement. Um, but what was so eye-opening about that was the outcry nationwide and worldwide, um, because we saw some some protests in different countries and whatnot across the, across the country, so, or across the uh, across the globe. So, to me, I think that you know, along along the way, I think people, both white and black, uh, realize. Um, you know, things, things need to change. Um, and I think people are more accepting of change and I think they understand right from wrong. Culture is a, is a thing. Uh, the PJ of America, um, uh, just renamed the Horton Smith award to the PJ professional development award. And for, for those of you who don't know who Horton Smith is, he's, 
Uh, he won the masters, the first, the first playing of the masters in 1934. Um, he just so happened to be a, a proponent of the Caucasian only clause, mm. you know? So uh, the PGA of America looks itself in the mirror and, and it just takes getting those right people in place uh, to, to look themselves in the mirror and say, okay, you know what, this, uh, this isn't right. Right. So you mentioned Susie Whaley being the first female uh, um, president of the PGA of America. Um, you know, she, she has done some incredible things and I don't, this took, this took place back in July. So it was during her tenure. I don't know, uh, you know, where it, where, where that fire sparked, but I, I know that she was a part of the the decision. Um, and that's great. Anybody who made that decision to change the Horton Smith award, the name of it to the PGA professional development award, um, you know, I applaud them because that is something that uh, needed to be done. You just had to have the right people in place to to wake up and say, "Okay, that's let's let's fix this." And so, to me, that's not cancel culture, right? Change, removing the PGA Championship from uh, Trump National uh, in 2022 is not cancel culture. I think people realize that you know um, he's not he doesn't represent what a lot of people. Uh, believe in, in in how they think, and the PGA of America is one of, you know, one of those uh, one of those one of those governing bodies who says, okay, we're not we're not going to align ourselves with with that kind of thought process. Um, now, are there financial gains to be had? Yeah, but I think those financial gains are secondary, just from doing the right thing. Yeah, I think it's interesting when you when you think about it because, like you said. Tiger Woods might not have been the reason you got into golf, but Tiger Woods is probably one of the most influential athletes of all time. And it's probably close with like Jordan, his run. And I don't know the exact time frame from 97 to probably what, 2006, 2007, what he was able to do during that time period. That doesn't happen in sports ever. The the type of run that, that he went on. And I think golf missed out on the opportunity there. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but like you said, I believe that when Tiger came, there was a more uptick of African-Americans on the golf course. Oh, and, yeah, and, yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? And, and it wasn't embraced. I don't think that that necessarily went over well where they grabbed this new uh, demographic that's come into the golf course and ran with it. And if they would have, they probably wouldn't have saw a decline in numbers all the way dating back. And these numbers are only through 2016. Cause that's all I could get the data. So right. I think it's to your point, it's not necessarily a cancel culture thing. Number one, there was a missed opportunity, but now we're having these tough conversations that unfortunately 20 years ago, 15 years ago, 10 years ago, we weren't really having these conversations and that's the difference. Yeah. I, yeah, you're right. I, I, um, you know, uh, the, 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 this phrase too little, too late, mm-hmm. um, probably applies. Um, but I don't think that, you know, doing the right, you can never do the right thing. Um, too late. Yeah. Too late. I mean, you just, you, I mean, it, it, there's always the right time to do the right thing. It's just, you know, change is difficult and, um, change is tough for a lot of people who, who have not experienced anything other than the comforts of their own day-to-day life. Um, so yeah, Tiger Woods, he jumps on the scene and I mean, this guy, the records, this guy, um, developed along the way. He didn't, he made 142 straight cuts, which is just, you look at like, um, 
professional sports and some of the records that are that have been achieved by by anybody and everybody. And if you were to uh, have a Mount Rushmore of records, you could argue that 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 should be up there, especially considering that golf is an is an individual game, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so the, the guy's a the guy's an absolute freak. I don't understand how he does what he does, and nobody does. Uh, but that's what makes him so great. But yeah, you're right. At that time, I'm sure it's probably not hard to say and make that assumption. I'm sure uh, there is a uh, an incredible influx of of black um, golfers uh, who decided that they wanted to, in some way, shape, or form, take up this game because they're looking at the TV and seeing somebody who does uh, or who looks like them uh, do that at a high level. That doesn't mean that you know all of a sudden 50% of uh, black America is going to try to join the PGA tour. It, it just means that there's this interest that people have not been introduced, introduced to um, beforehand. And that that's, you know, honestly, that's where my interest came from. And again, I think it goes for me, the change in, in um, this entire industry um, goes to uh, the, the workplace. Tiger Woods isn't going to be around for, for long. Right. I mean, he just, I think he just turned 46. So he's four years. It's kind of hard to believe. Because, and his back's like 85. Yeah. Right. He's got, he's, <laughs> he's got some problems with his lower back, but he's four years away from being eligible to joining the, the champions tour. So, you know, he's only, again, he's not, he's not going to be around for a while. So there's, there's gotta be others um, whether they're on the PGA tour or they're, they're your head professional or they're, uh, uh, director of instruction at a, at a club or at a, at a driving range, there's gotta be others that, that get into those roles so that generations behind them, uh, have an opportunity to, to play. And so I think the only way you can really, um, kind of diversify this game is to really look at, 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 at the workplace. Um, again, speaking from my own experiences, you know, I'm at a, I, you know, I talk about private clubs and, and, and the control that the membership uh, at private clubs can have over not only the members, but, but, you know, who, who works there. And so these are the people, you know, the, uh, the, uh, the board members, the golf committees, these are the people who really kind of control what, what goes on at, um, at these clubs. And so if you don't have somebody at the table um, who, who's black uh, or a minority or a woman, you're not, you're really not going to see um, change at least at that level. Right. And I, again, I talk about private clubs at public courses and resorts and, and things and, and things like that. You know, if you go to top golf, you know, that's, I'm sure that's less of an issue, but again, the, the fact that there's what I say, 165 African-American PJ professionals out of 29,000 of us, um, that, that speaks volumes. Um, there's only four black golfers on the PJ tour that speaks volumes. And I by no means think it's an accident that, um, the, the, the clubs that are, that are so well sought after, um, whether it's a, whether it's a, a top notch public course, like, like Pebble beach, or it's, uh, or it's Pine Valley, um, which is, you know, arguably the best golf course in the country or in the world. Um, I don't think that there's, you know, any accident there that you, most of the people who are in charge of these places are, are white and, um, 
the the numbers of black participation throughout the throughout the game um, are incredibly low. Right. I mean, JT, I appreciate you highlighting and emphasizing the private clubs because those are the clubs that have the least amount of regulation from a legal perspective. You know, the public clubs, they have to do things to cater towards all, everybody. They have to be diverse. They, they can't do things because as a private club, they're getting private funds or public funds, government money, and they, they have a lot more legal uh, ramifications that right. do things like a private club might do. And when I mentioned earlier, the, the money aspect, the financial aspect, I commend the PGA of America for doing things like pulling tournaments back from clubs, private clubs that don't cater towards diversity aren't about this movement. So I think that is right. a way to motivate private clubs because again, a lot of those clubs are driven by money and their richer um, members. So, you know, I, I think, you know, as we're looking forward and figuring out the ways to, to, to address the situation more and figure out more ways to bring diversity, not only into this sport, but other areas of life that typically have been predominantly white, you know, it's going to be interesting to see the backlash, but also the, the ways that people take that backlash and keep pushing forward for equality. So you know, we definitely appreciate you being on. Uh, do you have any other final thoughts? How about ways that people can connect with you and keep up with your um, growing career? Uh, well, I am on uh, social media like uh, the rest of the world. Um, I, um, social media handled as uh, JT underscore PGA. Um, and so, um, you know, like 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 everything else, it's a good way to good way to connect. Um um, I, um, do play professionally here in the, the Michigan section. Um, and so there's, uh, you know, you can always go to michiganpga.com to follow along in tournaments and, um, and things of that nature. So, um, again, small, uh, small fish in a, in a, in an ocean here, just trying to, <laughs> trying, trying to do the right thing, uh, on a, on a day-to-day basis. As they say in finding Nemo, just keep swimming. <laughs> <laughs> if you ever need a caddy, I'm going to do that, Byron. <laughs> if you ever need a caddy for these tournaments, not trying to brag, I've caddied twice in uh, both the Toledo and Jackson, Michigan area and have a pretty good track record. I just demand a few cocktails on your dime, but I'm very, very cheap. So, yeah, I, you know what, as, as, as lovely as that offer is, I'm going to tell you right now, uh, that is not going to happen. Um, <laughs> <laughs> if you don't want to win, I get it. I, I get oh. it. I get it. You probably think you have it figured out, but, uh, <laughs> nothing, nothing against you, but, uh, yeah, there's, there's, when I play, there's money on the line. So I, I have to be as focused as possible, but I appreciate it. Okay. <laughs> can I be Chubbs? Just, can I be Chubbs? Yeah. No yeah. Yes, you can. <laughs> no, no, on that note, we really appreciate you coming on, JT. Thank you again for sharing your experience, your your background and you know perspective on things. Obviously, every week we do our final thoughts, our action items for the week. Let's start with you, JT. What are your final thoughts and action items going forward? I, I you know, you guys brought up a, a, a really, really good thing earlier, uh, talking about the effect that COVID has had on, on, on everybody. And so, um, it's now, um, 2021 and unfortunately it doesn't look like this thing is going anywhere anytime soon. Um, so I think, you know, for anybody who, who jumped onto the golf course for their first time 
in uh, in 2020 because they were bored. Um, if you played once or if you played a hundred times, um, I think that, uh, you know, that, that's a great thing. And I think that you should find, find some, find some more time to, to, to keep it nauseating. Um, doesn't mean you have to play 18 holes. You can play four holes and, and, and ride in the cart for the, for the remainder of the round. Uh, there's, there's different ways to, to, to access this game, whether it, again, I said top golf or X golf or, um, you know, a driving range, uh, public court, you know, whatever. Um, I think that, uh, using the excuse of COVID to accidentally find this game is, is great, but, um, um, continuing to play, uh, is, is, uh, can, can, can afford you some lifelong memories. So I think, uh, for anybody who, um, accidentally found the game, just, uh, keep playing. Cause it's, uh, it's not like anything else that, uh, that life offers. That's great, Byron. Uh, yeah, as we've spoken and kind of kind of alluded to um, on previous podcasts, you know, we want to continue to spread kindness and love in America. We know there's a ton of divisiveness going on in this country. Um, so just make a point to to be kind to others as you're going through. You know, if you're working through your work days, if you're in school through your through your day of school, just continue to spread kindness and love to people um, because we got to unify. We got to come together in order to be successful. You know, Adam, I got something a little bit different for you today. I got a special shout out. Now you remember trash candidate, one of the best segments we had. Well, in the spirit of golf, I actually have a trash athlete of the week. So if you haven't heard of Grayson Murray, he tweeted it since been deleted. Luckily I uncovered it before he could. <laughs> hey, Hey POTUS, you should start a tournament the same week as the 2022 PGA championship at your course, put up a huge purse that players can't turn down, make the PGA championship a weak field or force them to put up their purse and cost them more money. So I thought to myself, who is this guy? So yeah, special shout out to the 212th ranked player, Grayson Murray with one career win. I would be lobbying for another tournament then as well, since I wouldn't be qualifying for the PGA championship. So uh, uh, (laughs) I'm going to jump in on that because I saw, I I, I don't want to take up too much time, but I, I saw that tweet yesterday and, um, and I couldn't help, but think to myself, it's like, you know, you, I, I don't understand how so many people can miss the mark when it comes to just reading the temperature in the room. Um, it's, it's a shame he deleted it, but you know, I'm all for people, you know, free speech and, and having their opinion, but I, man, social media, I, I, I don't know what it does to people and, and their, their, um, their, their instant want to just spew out whatever comes to the forefront of their brain. But that was a horrible, horrible take. You know, and, um, it, you brought that up. It's, it's funny that I, I compare putting up a status or tweet to like baking a cake. And right now we have this problem where people like to just sprinkle on just a little bit of racism in there. And then they cannot believe when they just get clobbered and then they delete it. So 
just number one, I know Byron's was be nice. Uh, I guess my thing I'm going to tell you is if you sprinkle in a little bit of racism, I'm tearing down your cake. I'm flipping the table. I'm turning off the lights. I'll burn down your building. So that's just, uh, <laughs> that's mine. But uh, no arson, no arson. <laughs> just flip the table and ruin Okay, it. no arson, no arson. We're all about positive change here. I'm 2021, better me this year. So what do you got for him, Adam? Yeah, I mean, I don't know why people delete. It's not like it's it's gone completely. We saw it. it we we already saw it. But yeah, my action item and final thought this week is just to continue to, like Byron said and Steve said, to try to figure out the middle ground, figure out ways to address the change that's necessary. And it happens on both sides. It's about building relationships, but also at the same time addressing issues and, and highlighting problems that, that need to be solved. So, you know, we definitely love the support. We love the emails and questions that we're getting. We love supporting the forum and we want people to continue to get involved and continue to work with us because we have some things planned over the next few months that are really going to take advantage of the resources, the people, the talent that we have involved in working with us and collaborate together to make the change that we all want to make. So, you know, stay with us. We appreciate all your support already, and we just want to keep that going. And can't wait to have more great guests like Julian Thompson on again. Thank you again, Julian, for Adam Stone, Steve Kerwin, and Byron Hazley. Talk to you later. Thanks for listening, everybody. If you would like to learn more about the Committed Collective or any of the initiatives that we're supporting currently, please connect with us at the underscore Committed Collective on Instagram or on Facebook. If you'd like to ask any follow-up questions of today's host or guest about our conversation, feel free to email us at info at thecommittedcollective.org. Be sure to also subscribe to the podcast so you can stay up to date on our topics, information, and other events. If you'd like to join the collective, you can follow us on Instagram and join us on our Slack community. Remember, you can take an active role in your sphere of influence and champion change now. 